Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Let me begin by just sharing with you, uh, again, a welcome to all of you that are our guests here. And you probably came in maybe thinking that, hey, today, regular rocking and rolling through the church like we would normally do. But they now are telling you that you've got a new guy here at the helm, and you don't know much about it, and you're wondering, why did I ever come? If I was a new person and I was looking over a church, I would have to tell you that if they were going to get a new guy coming in for a, a time, I would want to be there at the very beginning, especially to be able to begin understanding what his heart is and maybe who he is and what he wants to do and where the church might be going. And I'd like to be like him. I'd like to maybe uh, discover the journey upon which he's going and maybe we could grow together a part of this faith family. And so I thought maybe this would be a good time for you. So let's just kind of get some things out of the way to help you understand the difference between a part-time pastor, an interim pastor, an intentional interim pastor. I certainly don't want to have Jill, the wonderful lady who answers our phone, saying, this is Circle Community Church, our interim, interim, blah, 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 and at the end of the day, she doesn't know what she said, and the people said, bye. So what I want you to do is know a little bit about who we are and what that means. When you have what we call an interim pastor, basically he just steps in and he takes over what the other pastor did on a temporary basis until that church finds a regular pastor, a senior pastor level. An intentional interim pastor is one who comes in and during the time between the other pastor and the new pastor, he then helps the church to kind of revisit their vision, their goals, to sense where everybody is, help them through a, a healing process, through the grieving of the loss of a previous pastor, but kind of tease up the church for the new pastor when he comes in, and then he passes that baton to him. So there's a little bit more work, a little bit more involvement of an intentional interim pastor. So when they identify me as that intentional interim pastor, that means uh, I'm blessed to be able to preach the word, but the real work sometimes is done all behind the scenes, working with one another and learning from you all. But then there's a new term today, and I'm going to add that to this book that I'm writing on this, and I might change the term from intentional interim pastor, because that's a big mouthful, and basically just refer to him as a transitional pastor, because he's in transition, He's transitioning the church, and we're going to transition out, and we're going to transition new. So in a sense, that's a transitional pastor, and it's easier to say. Now, on a first service, some of you are saying, I really want to get into the Word, and we will get into the Word, and you know that uh, we are Word-based here at this church. It comes from a great history of that. Now, for me, taking over this role of transitional pastor here, I have to tell you that I'm really blessed to do that. There are a lot of times guys like us come to a church when they follow a pastor who unfortunately has had a moral, ethical, or maybe a doctrinal failure, and he's gone. And to take over a church with that, it takes great finesse. Not so difficult, but just as painful as when he comes into a church and the pastor has passed away, whether it's through illness or suddenly or perhaps through a tragedy, and he comes in, and then there's a whole lot of healing. And then you have those that are able to follow someone that the person's been there, they've retired out with honor, and the church is healthy, and we can move on. Well, I have to tell you that I am really blessed for two big reasons. One reason is I get a chance to serve you in this role by following someone who is very carefully, quote, teed up the church for me, 
by making sure the Word of God was taught accurately, clearly, and consistently. And so I'm grateful to be able to follow Ron and Gina Hoffman in their ministry here. And so again, that's part of where we're headed as this church. Now, the other is, Carol and I have been able to live among you for the last year, four months, something like that. So we got a chance to know you. Those of you that are quite active here, you probably have seen us in almost every event that you've had at one time or another because we just love people. We love shepherding and we love you. Now, those are many of you know us. You know a little bit about us, how many kids we have, what our heartbeat is, what we like, what makes us tick, what makes us ticked, all right? What makes us sing, what makes us cry. You know that. There are others of you that don't know us as well. And for that, I want you to know that Carol and I will do everything we can to really get to know what makes you sing, what makes you cry, what makes you tick, what makes you ticked. And so together we're going to learn each other because we're all a part of the faith family of God and that God is our Father. He is the great, good, and chief shepherd, and we're here just to serve you. Now to do that, what I wanted to do to begin all of this is to set forth a covenant that... I would like to make with you. And in a sense, Carol and I are coming together because we are one. I may be the point person at times, but together you're seeing a couple with this covenant to you. If you have a worship folder in front of you, you're going to find that I put a covenant in there that you can kind of jot some notes down, fill in, but later on I'm going to give you a much more fuller one that you can use. Now to do that, some of you might be new to the whole concept of why why would you ever want to do a covenant? And uh, I would like to explain a little bit about covenant. Not covenant theology, that's another topic for another time, another class. It's important for you to know covenant theology, what it is, what it isn't, right or wrong. But right now, I just wanted to speak on the topic of covenant so you'd understand why it would be important for us to have a covenant. I thank you for turning up the lights. I really appreciate that. So let me give you four reasons why I think it's important for us to understand covenants and why it's important that you're here today and hearing a covenant of someone who will live among you and shepherd you for the next X amount of uh, weeks, months, and perhaps a year out. First of all, it's because it's biblical. Now, biblical is not so much that it says, when you get a new pastor, he needs to do this covenant to the church. That's not found in Scripture. What is found in Scripture is the agreement of promises that are made Sometimes laterally, bilaterally, unilaterally to one, unilaterally with one another. So covenants is biblical. And I want to come back to that in just a moment so you understand that what we're doing here is not just so much of an obligation or a religious ritual that Christians do. It is something that we optionally chose to do because we see the importance of covenants in the Bible. The second reason is because it begins, covenants do, on an agreement of trust. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. When you sign a contract, it's to protect you from someone else that you might not trust so that you put them down in a contract way. A covenant is a little different, and I hope you'll understand this as I begin to go through it. A covenant is based upon someone bilaterally where I'll be making this promise to you because I love you, and what I'm doing is to add value to your life because I care for you. So it's based upon I trust you and I love you and I have no reason not to pour myself out to you. The other way is true as well. The covenant back is that I can trust you, that you will then do certain things because of your love to stand in Carol. You'll pray for us, you'll speak into our lives, you'll add value to us so that together we will grow. And covenants help us do that because it gives us a little bit of a parameter, which leads me to number three. It's a healthy thing to do because it helps each one to hold each other accountable. Now, again, that's very close to the idea of a contract. 
but not so much. At least you know that there is something out there, so it's not just an assumption. I remember when I was starting in leadership, one of the first lessons I learned, don't assume, write it. You know what I mean by that? If you assume something, you can read a lot more into it than what's really there or leave a lot out. But once it's there, you have somewhat of an agreement. Which now leads me to number four, which I think is probably the the healthiest of all. And that is that it helps us to understand the answer to the question, what can we expect from one another? Now, when you hear that, we can pack that full of weeks and months of just do's and don'ts and lists and all of that, so it almost looks like an employment manual that I'm now reading to you about what I'm going to do. And that's not the intention of it. The intention of this is you can expect my heart, but what's beating in my heart will mostly come out of my mouth, what I'll be teaching. It'll come out of my hands and my feet and how I'll live or model it. But it's also good for you to see it articulated. So I'm going to articulate my covenant to you to answer what are some of the primary areas that you can expect. It's not going to say that I'll be in the office every day at 8 o'clock. It's not going to tell you that I won't wear Hawaiian shirts on Sunday morning. All right? But what it will tell you is the things that will matter the most to you that I hope will add the greatest value to you during the limited time that our sovereign God has allowed us to do this dance together. Okay? So now let's go back to the biblicalness of covenants. I have a 16-page, I guess we could call it a position paper. I'm now going to read this to you. I'm joking, all right? I wanted to put this forth because there's so much in the Bible about covenants and the seriousness of it that it'd be good for you to have a copy of this. Now, this isn't the final answer on covenants, but if you'd like a copy, you can email me. All that information is in your worship folder, and I'll be glad to give you this. But for those of you that are kind of new into the faith and you heard the term covenant, but you don't know what that is, you think it's lot lines that you have around your house or something or something you sign with an HOA thing... I want you to know it's a lot more biblical than that. So let me give you a brief background, and then I'm just going to articulate the seven statements in the covenant that I'm going to make with you, and hopefully by God's grace and power, for His glory, live it for you. First of all, we've got to understand what the word covenant means, and that gets a little tricky as well, because you start digging deeper into covenants, you have what it means, and then you see how the covenant is used, and you get the use of it and the meaning of it, and it can kind of get a little squirrely. So let me make it as simple as I possibly can. First of all, the whole idea of covenant is important in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's found, that word translated into English, is found over 230 times in the Old Testament alone. When you go to the New Testament, New Covenant, you go to the New Testament, it's not found quite as many times as that. In fact, in the New Testament, it's only found 33 times. It doesn't mean it's less important in the New Testament. What it does mean, the New Testament is building off the foundation of the Old Testament. If you got that part, say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, I think I heard enough of you say that, so you're still following. So primarily the word covenant has different explanations behind it. One of it could be the word promise. That's pretty simple. But if I want to be more technical, it also could mean the idea of cutting in two. It also can mean the idea of bonding together. So as I understood that term, bonding together, cutting like animals apart the promise we make to each other, I decided to dig a little bit deeper because it sounded pretty confusing. If it means bonded together, but yet you take the animals as did in Genesis 15, you just split them apart, you cut them actually in half, how does that fit together? Ah, that's where it gets really good. Bloody, but good. What happened in the Old Testament is that the Lord made what we call a unilateral covenant. 
A unilateral covenant basically means God made this covenant with, with us and then there's expectations on our part, but we don't enter into that covenant with him. He made it and he expects certain things to be done. I'll unpack that in just a moment. But when he made that covenant with Abram, here's what he did. He said, you need to take certain animals and he gave a list of animals. He said, you're to take these animals and you're to cut them right in half, split them up, except the birds. Put one bird on this side, bird on the other side. And then at the end of that covenant, there was this fiery pot that went through that. And now you say, what in the world is that all about? Well, basically it was stating this. And by the way, it wasn't just a biblical thing. History tells us that even in the secular environment, they would do covenants very similar to this. So when God did this with Abram, he kind of already knew that this was a serious deal because culturally that was going on. And so what it was basically saying, just like these animals died, they shed blood. I want you to know this is a serious promise, a serious covenant I'm making to you to the point even of death if it's broken. You fast forward it to the time of Rome, they would do covenants too. Sometimes the people among themselves, man to man, group to group, they would do the animal thing just like they did in the Bible because that was kind of history doing it. But other times, as I read this, two guys would get together, they'd stare each other down like WWF, and they'd have their goblet of wine, and they'd look at each other as they're making a covenant, and one of them would take that wine and pour it in the dirt. And the other one would look at him and take his wine and pour it into the dirt. And then it would basically be saying this, may you be like that wine that was useless as it plunged into a barren, dry earth if you don't keep your covenant. So bottom line, you want to know what to take away from that? All that stuff is interesting, but covenants are very serious. God made them. Not only were they made, he identified them. It was an oath given. It was often written. Sometimes a gift was given. Sometimes they piled up rocks even. Whatever it was, an oath was given. Now, if it was more of a biblical covenant, man to man, it was done with the following things in mind. Number one, This oath was done in the very presence of God. That God, who is very serious about oath-making, covenant-making. Remember, God can be the covenant-keeper because He's the covenant-maker. And so He's very serious. So when I make this with you today, I want you to know that God is here in us and all around observing what I'm saying here. So when I say this to you, this covenant It's very serious to me because it's even more serious with God. Number two, when we make this covenant with one another, we're making it in such a way so that you know what to expect. And then finally, you'll be given a gift. Like I mentioned, this, whether you want to put it on your refrigerator, you want to put it in your Bible, you want a suitable for framing, however you want to do it, it's to kind of remind you of who I am and what I attempt to do by God's grace, by God's power, for God's glory to you. Now, That's what I'm going to do in just a moment. Now, as I go through this covenant with you, some of you, uh, because of the the character and quality of this church, you're very careful for looking. He didn't say this, or he left that out. Does this really write? How did that fit? What about that verse? And I live with you parsing all of this so much so that I think, I'm on your back lanai, my arm is around you. Sometimes it kind of goes over your head and you miss really what I'm saying. And I don't want that. I want you to hear the heart, not the technicality. The technicality is to at least open up various windows of truth on my heart, on my covenant with you. Again, there's a lot more that I have on covenant. 
You can ask for that paper. It is all documented where I got the information and other people uh, put it together with me. So I want you to know it's for you. Let's go now into the covenant that I'd like to make for you or to you. Would you pick out your piece of paper right now and open up your Bible? Because I'm going to do something very solemn to you. I did this with much prayer. I did it with a, a council. I ran it by our board of elders, the, the men here that uh, spiritually guide you and protect you and help you and serve you. And uh, we went through it very carefully. They had alone time, so they didn't just have me railroaded on them. And we came back with this document. The gentlemen uh, expressed their pleasure and appreciation for this so that I want you to know as I share this with you, it's a, it's a team effort and it's, it's coming from them, but really coming from me to you. So let me begin reading it to you. I know it sounds a little tight because I'm reading. I'm more passionate about preaching, but I wanted you to have it articulated. So my pastoral covenant with you um, is this. In accepting God's call as your intentional interim, quote, transitional pastor to shepherd the faith family of Circle Community Church. There's a comma there. I need to comment on this. I want you to see the phrase when it says, in accepting this call from God. I wanted you to know that um, I'm not here because of razzle-dazzle. I'm not here because of lobbying. I'm not here because I railroaded anything. I'm here because there was a, a, a specific group of people who have been appointed and approved by the church to help this church in its transition through a great deal of prayer, a lot of discussion, a lot of fine-tuning to really discern who would be the best person right now. Is there someone else better out there? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a man of contradictions now. Yeah, there, I'm sure there is someone better out there. On the other hand, God didn't call them. God called me, and God said, I want to use the base things of the world to confound the wise. And so I am the guy that God has called me. At the same time, from my end to you, I could be at any other church probably in America, not maybe in the role of interim pastor, but God has called me here. And so whatever we go through together, I'm accepting it is a sovereign God is doing this to grow me, grow Carol and me, and grow us so that we would be a model to this Christian community on how to grow through issues that will help us to be stronger for him. If you're comfortable with that concept, would you say amen? Okay, so let's continue now. I commit myself to, but before you go to number one, I'd like you to write this in. I commit myself to the Lord and then to you by extension the following. So this covenant that I'm making is really to the Lord. I believe it's biblical, so I believe it's an acceptable covenant that I can make with the Lord, but I'm doing it to you by extension. So I see myself having to answer to God for this covenant, what it says, and my um, ability to be able to keep it. I'll explain that later. All right? I commit myself to number one, so let's begin. To love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. If I had a place to begin, I couldn't think of a better place to begin is to covenant to you that I have a love affair with God, a spiritual love affair with God first. If I love Him with all of my heart, soul, and mind, it'll have a byproduct that I should then love others. And the first person that I would love others would be my sweet wife. So if I'm properly in love with the Lord, it'll spill over into my love affair with my wife and then love affair with others that are out there, if you know what I'm saying. That's the first commandment. Would you read the verse out loud with me that I have in your folder there? Read it together. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great 
and foremost commandment. So I want you to know that I am going to lead you, hopefully my modeling, not only lip service that I love the Lord, but that you'll be able to see it and hear it in the things that I do. Because I believe this, here's where we're going with this, that our intimacy with the Lord will properly fuel our outreach for the Lord. You catch that? And the deeper that we go with the Lord, the more joy that we will have, the more excitement and passion we're going to have to be able to reach out to others and touch them. Stay with me now. And that we won't need another person's love because God's love filled our tank completely. And we can pour out his love to others because that love that we have in our tank will constantly be be being refilled so we can love others. So my commitment to you is to love the Lord first and then, of course, love others and, by extension, my wife and my family next. We're going to be a church that really worships and loves him and the freedom that he's allowed us to have. Number two, I commit myself to the Lord and to you, by extension, to labor long hours in God's word, in prayer, and in ministry to further us all toward spiritual maturity in Christ. I'd like to read this longer verse so you can sense where my heart is when I say the word labor and to work in the word, in prayer, in ministry, with the purpose of helping you to go deeper with the Lord. It goes like this, and I'll just read this one. It's a long one. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Let me pause. I'm older than I look, okay? And I I get tireder quicker. And my mind isn't quite as sharp as it used to be. But on the other side of it, Carol says, I'm just a kid in a grown man's body. So there is an element of youthfulness in there. So I let it speak to me anyway. He says, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Here's a key. Show yourself. In other words, I not only need to mentor you by speaking, not only minister to you, but I need to be able to be someone who models this for you. So I am to model myself, an example of those who believe, and not just anybody who believes, but especially those who are blood-bought, born-again believers in Christ and are living that faith. Then it says, until I come, Paul writing to Timothy in the pastoral epistle, so it's really kind of in my wheelhouse of pastoring. Paul says, until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture. That's why we had Scott read Scripture. Now, he, ex- he read Scripture as an extension of the pastor reading Scripture because I passed that to him. The bottom line is, here it is, that you hear God's Word read to you. So it's not so much a time of reading Scripture because uh, that's liturgy in the church. It is a command of God to do that. And then it says, to exhortation and to teaching. So now we go beyond public reading of Scripture, but to exhort and to teach. What? Scripture. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. All right? My gift tends to be leadership. My gift tends to be teaching. It's sometimes fleshed out in my calling of pastoring, administrating, leading, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. That means others recognized it and they identified it publicly. Take pains with these things. So that's telling Stan here, work hard at it. You should toil to the point of weariness. When you go to bed at night, you should have no trouble falling asleep because you're tired doing what God's called you to do. 
Then it says, be absorbed in them. So in other words, when you cut my wrist, my wrist will bleed. Scripture, praying, ministry to others, wanting others to come to faith alone in Christ and to go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of Him. Now, why do I do that? So that your progress will be evident to all. So in other words, you will see me, watch this, not only living the Christian faith, watch this now, but you're going to see me growing in my faith as well. Did you catch that difference? So that what I'm sharing with you now, I hope a year from now, I'm either closer to the Lord and or more knowledgeable in God's Word and doing even a more effective job. You ought to see progress. We've had a dear man of God working here in the sun. I don't know how many days, and many of you do volunteer work, but I've seen this man paint our curbs, the yellow and white. How many of you saw that when you drove in? All right. This guy's done it in the heat. It's neat to watch a painter work because when he works, you can always see where he's been. I don't mean about all the drips on the windows when they paint your house. But I'm talking about there's progress. You want to see progress in, your, in my life. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.